Well, welcome back, everyone, to the podcast, Fringes of the Faith. And as you know, this is Holy Week. And as we launched this podcast, we decided um, to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. And not just from, you know, the the storyline, but we really wanted to, to delve into the physical and emotional effects that this particular week had on his body and on his emotions and on his mind. With me is Pastor Parky Coburn, Senior Pastor of Capstone Church. I'm Pastor Paul Henderson. I'm the Administrative Pastor of Capstone Church. And if you missed if you missed the first episode, the first part one of episode one, um, I encourage you to go back and, li- and listen to it. Um, it's on YouTube and it's also on all of our streaming platforms. Now, where we left off last time is that Jesus... We started off in the Last Supper. We talked about his emotional state mm-hmm. and how he was about to be betrayed. Mm-hmm. And then that led into the Garden of Gethsemane, where he experienced a severe amount of stress and anxiety, knowing what his physical body was about to go through. And so as the mob enters the garden with the swords and the clubs, Jesus stands up. He overcomes all of those human emotions and those and that human trepidation and anxiety and apprehension. After surrendering his will to the Father, he stands up, he steps forward, and he surrenders himself into the authorities. Mm-hmm. And so now his betrayal is complete. Mm-hmm. And his disciples, most of them have, have run off, and he's been delivered. And they're taking him now to the high priest. In order to be examined, yeah, yeah, you know, you can uh, you can imagine everything that has been going through his mind and thought process, and in his prayers is now beginning to unfold. Uh, it's going from something that could happen and will happen in the future to to happening now, and and so uh, there's a lot we can learn. Uh, last week we learned, uh, last time we were together, we learned a lot about how, how to go through something uh, before it happens, you know, and, and, and the feelings that come to us and the attacks we feel. But today, uh, the reality is, is here, and Jesus is arrested. And so now we're going to be able to look at it from being in the midst, right in the midst of, of the actual trial. Right. So as we continue on, we're going to go from the Last Supper, which we were we started. We went through the garden, and now we're going to get to the scourging of Jesus. Mm. A very traumatic event. Oh, man. On all accounts, no regular human would have survived the scourging. Well, you know, it's just nothing. This is something that just doesn't happen in our world, uh, the civilized world anymore. And it's hard for us to imagine. So to, to really get a grip on this, we have to step back in time. So I just want to encourage you today to, you may be sitting in a car, you may be watching uh, at home or somewhere else, transport yourself, okay? And I'm not being weird here. I, I just mean in your mind, try to step back in, into this time and, and and be right there with Jesus during this period. That'll help us be able to get a grasp upon what's going on. Amen. It's great. So the guards are escorting Jesus to the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, and that's also where the elders and the scribes have gathered to examine Jesus. And really, this is, is you know, what we call today a kangaroo court. Oh, yes. They knew the outcome yeah. that they wanted. It's happening in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of the night. Never happened before. Not, I mean, it's, you know, it's shady from the very beginning. 
So everything was going according to this plan that they put together. Uh, the account provided by John says that they're, they're met by uh, Annas, which mm -hmm. is the other high priest, the alternate high priest, and happens to just be the father-in-law of Caiaphas mm -hmm. as well. Annas examines Jesus first in the account of John, and he asks Jesus about his disciples. Now, what that tells me from my experience is that what, what Annas is trying to do is to get Jesus to, to snitch mm -hmm. on his disciples. So tell, tell us who they are, because I believe that they really wanted to go round them all up, because they wanted to put this whole thing to, to an end right there. That was their whole goal. Um, he wanted them to turn on his disciples so that they could be arrested. That's what I believe. Now, mm -hmm. is that biblically? No, no. But is it scripturally sound? Yeah, it could be. But looking at all of the evidence that we've been looking at and how this all came about tends to lend me to think that they really wanted to just wipe this whole thing out. Yeah, they're probably probing for weaknesses here. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're asking him about about different about different things in his life. They're looking for a weakness. They're looking for something that they can use to put pressure on him. Right. Then they ask him about his doctrine, what he's actually teaching. And so how does Jesus answer this? He, 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 he says, basically, he says, whoever wants to know what I've spoken about, what I've said, uh, you should go ask those that I actually spoke to. Yeah. See, oh, man, what is so cool about the events from here to the crucifixion is how Jesus exposes the hypocrisy and the Ill, the illegal nature of of what's happening here without just saying you what you're doing is wrong it's illegal he he says okay he goes if you're if this is a real trial where are the witnesses you know what i'm saying he goes where are all the witnesses and why is this being done in the middle of the night that's good that's good and so his response of why don't you go talk to the people Mm -hmm. uh, that I've spoken to, basically, where are your witnesses at? That angers them, mm -hmm. that makes them angry. Um, Luke's account in chapter 22 goes on to say this, that the guards and the officers then blindfolded him and they began to beat him, striking him on the face uh, and, and telling him, prophesy to us, who struck you? That tells us, number one, that the guards that did this were the temple guards. They were the guards of yes. the high priest. Yes. We're not talking about the Romans no, yet. He hasn't were, been delivered over yet. Right. So this is his own nation, mm -hmm. his own people uh, that are doing this to him. So not only now has he been betrayed by one of his disciples, his closest friends, he's also being rejected. Now get this. As a human, by his own people. Mm. As God, by his own priests. Yes. Boy, that's that's so real. Pastor Paul, I mean, I when I read this account in the Gospels, it sends chills down my mm -hmm. spine because the people that were supposed to be representing him and submitted to him and the people that were supposed to recognize him have rejected him and, and are mocking him and are doing all manner of, of, of evil and, and hurtful things things to him and it just it makes me shiver to think about the the ones that uh, blindfold him and then hit him and say prophesy who's the one who hit you and I, I can't help but go from this event to a future event way way down the road when 
when those when sinners stand before the Lord and and uh, He's able to tell them exactly who was the one who who hit him. Right. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when you think if you think about the history of the Israelites, right? This is a, yet another example, and this is probably the most egregious example uh, that the Israelites rejected God in favor of their own traditions and their laws and in favor of their own standing mm -hmm. where they stood positionally uh, within the nation. Yeah. And so how, how uh, from the human aspect, not only should it, if it didn't, it should have had, had caused righteous indignation on, on the part of Jesus as human to say, well, now you're, you're once again rejecting God yeah. in favor of yourselves. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but you have, we all have to remember, uh, that it, it's very, very sad what happened here and, and very, very painful, but on the other side of the coin, uh, this is also, uh, a part of the plan. God mm -hmm. knew this was going to happen and God actually used this and turned it around to be something good and that it was part part of an opening of the door uh, of the gospel to the Gentiles. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it had to be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was all a part of, of the plan of redemption. Yeah. Yes. And that's good that we need to remember that because there's a lot of folks that can, that have built a case against, you know, being anti-Semitic over oh, this. Yeah. And that's just not, that's not what this is. about. It, it's unbiblical. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are told in the Bible what our what our uh, viewpoint and and is to be. Let me say it this way: is to be toward the Jewish the Jewish right. nation. We are to be supporters of the Jewish nation, lovers of the Jewish people. Now, I'll be the first one to admit: while I love Israel and while I love the Jewish people, uh, yes, I mean they they in many ways have been very uh, rejecting of of Jesus as the Messiah. But brothers and sisters, even that is going to be redeemed at the end according to the prophets and so we can't get hung up because each one of us has has done exactly what these these jewish uh people have done yes we have yeah no one is without yeah sin. that's right so let's let's fast forward now to the actual scourging as ordered by pontius pilate as you know pilate was the governor of the area the roman ruler and um you know, he really, really, when you read it in depth, he really wanted to release Jesus. He yeah. wanted to let him go. Yeah. And so what as a result of wanting to let him go, when he ordered Jesus to be scourged, I really think, and I'll get your, uh, get your insight on this, but I really think that Pilate ordered a severe scourging in, in order to try to satisfy the Jewish leadership um, instead of delivering him over to be crucified, to be killed, to be murdered, basically, because I believe Pilate thought this, that Jesus was innocent. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't believe, you know, if you go back and you study history, history, and I'm talking extra biblical history, Pilate was no fan uh, of, of these high priests. Uh, and they were no fan of, of Pilate's. Uh, there was an, really an adversarial relationship there. Only would they work together to maintain the peace and, and to uh, fulfill Pilate's job description as well as uh, to keep 
the priests uh, in power in favor with the people. So you're right. I mean, Pilate did not necessarily was not necessarily motivated to do things for these guys because he liked them because I don't really think he did. But uh, I do agree. I, if we can read the scripture, let's get out of history, uh, extra biblical history, and go back to the Bible. We can see that Pilate, uh, there's plenty of evidence there to say that he did not really want to go all the way through with crucifixion here. I don't think he believed there were grounds for it. Right. Um, and very law-centered, very mm -hmm. Roman law-centered. I mean, you, he's a high official mm -hmm. in the Roman government. So can you imagine what would have come down on him had he crucified an actual knowingly crucified an innocent person? But we're going to talk a little bit in a little while about how we know that Pilate and the Jewish leadership didn't get along because mm -hmm. he does something um, intentionally mm -hmm. that uh, demonstrates kind of that animosity toward toward them. And so there's no doubt that now the Romans um, are taking over this phase of the punishment inflicted mm -hmm. on Jesus, and and it's going to be brutal. But we know from history and from the historical accounts and from excavations that the Romans were very cruel when it came to capital punishment mm -hmm. and scourging. They enjoyed inflicting pain. That was something that they yes. prided themselves on. Not only that, but they invented new ways mm -hmm. to make it as painful as possible without killing them. They didn't want them to die during the I mean, during the the scourging. Not unless they were ordered yes. to kill him that way, but the scourging was really reserved for severe punishment to be released after the scourging. So, you know, kind of as a, you'll never forget this and you'll never do whatever it is you did again. Um, yes, that's, that's, yeah. that's true. Uh, this, the Jews uh, also would be involved sometimes in, in, in some forms of punishment. They had some forms that they could do under their law. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, in this situation with Jesus, they had to hand him over to the Romans. And Pilate, there's this great game going on here between the Jews, the Jewish leaders, Pilate, and then Jesus, you add him in there, and Jesus is so wise, he's aware of everything that's going on and and the the drama that happens between these three parties is is just amazing yeah and so let's talk about the method that the romans chose to scourge jesus and really what they did is they developed an instrument called the roman flagellatio which literally means the roman scourging device and it, it was also known as the flagrum mm -hmm. now i've got kind of a mock-up of of a flagrum um, this is really, uh, this is a horse training whip, um, but it, it, it really depicts kind of what the flagrum would have looked like, much more, you know, an, uh, antiquated than this. But it was made out of leather, uh, and these leather straps, the, these, whip, these whip straps, there were probably about three of them, judging uh, by some of the evidence that we'll talk about in a minute. But they would, they would lace these, these, pieces of metal and glass and all throughout these these whip tails mm -hmm. and they would be placed all along here and they would use things like what look like ball bearings uh, they would use like little spike looking things and what this was meant to do is is to cause and inflict uh, pain mm -hmm. uh, a lot of pain mm -hmm. 
was brutal. And so how do we know that, you know, what a flagrum looks like? Well, in 1709, an actual flagrum was discovered during an excavation. And that flagrum dated back to AD 79, which we know is right after the fall of Jerusalem. And it's a pretty good indicator from that time period of the type of flagrum that was used to scourge Jesus. Now, the ones that they, they found had uh, these little metal objects at the ends that kind of look like tiny dumbbells. Interestingly, if you've ever, you know, looked at or watched a documentary or read about the Shroud of Turin, the Shroud of Turin, which is said to be the linen cloth that Jesus was buried in, it shows imprints of these little tiny dumbbell looking things in the shroud itself. And so it's interesting to me that we know from the excavation of the historical account of what a flagrum looked like, mm -hmm. that the shroud would actually line up with that. And so what do we know about uh, lashings in the Jewish culture? What do we know about that? How many lashings were they allowed to, to give someone? Well, the Jews were only allowed, according to law 39. That's right. Mm -hmm. 39 lashes was was the uh, the most that they could give to to someone right and so 39 lashes because uh, if you did more than that then it was it had something to do with um, you were demeaning the, the person right you yeah know, you were demeaning them and they didn't want them you know they didn't want to be caught in demeaning their own people so 39 lashes and in those that have looked at the shroud of Turin, you say well it looks like a lot more than 39 of those little dumbbell imprints. Well, you have to think of it this way. If you've had, if you've got three whip tails mm -hmm. and you've got dumbbells placed all along these whip tails mm -hmm. and you're striking someone with them 39 times, each one, each strike leaving not only three for each uh, whip tail, but now you're looking at what? One, two, three, four, five, six, oh, seven, yes. eight, nine. Each strike would, if if it was, you know, a three whip tail flagrum, each strike would have produced nine, nine imprints. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how hard that they would have hit them. Mm -hmm. And the way that they designed this thing is that they would have their victim bend over. So Jesus was bent over, chained to a, a post or a column at the base. He, he was not allowed to, to be on his knees. Mm -hmm. He had to stand. And what that did is it exposed his bare back. Mm-hmm. But also having his arms stretched across this this column would also expose the underside of his ribs. Mm -hmm. And so the way that this flagrum is designed is that you put the majority of your metal objects toward the end. And what they would do is they would take this whip and, and they would whip around the back. Mm -hmm. You see how that that mm -hmm. action there that now you think about all yeah. of those metal objects on there and that slapping up against your rib cage mm -hmm. multiple times. A lot of pain. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, they wanted to be able to get to certain areas on the body, not just the back. Mm -hmm. They they wanted to be able to get all the way to the rib cage mm -hmm. and to other areas, even across the front. And mm -hmm. so therefore they made them stand in a certain position and having those uh, dumbbells or ball bearings or other things toward the end uh, created a momentum when they swung, right. swung the flagrum or, or mm -hmm. lashed with it. And, and so, therefore, it wasn't just the pain of what hit your back. Uh, 
it was what was going on on the other side of your body too. Right, that's externally. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that that's the pain that you're feeling from those the objects hitting you with that excess momentum that that they perfected. And so what that would cause internally is massive bruising and, Ooh, yeah. and bleeding with each lash and possibly some cracked ribs. Yes. Yeah. They've, they've have documented crucifixion victims as having fractured ribs. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's, you know, a very real effect of having that flagrum uh, lashed across your body like that. So severe blows, to the chest cavity. We talk about how it would wrap around mm -hmm. and, and hit Jesus in the, in the chest that would cause, actually can cause the lungs to bleed, the lungs mm -hmm. themselves to bleed and even collapse and that's partially collapse. And that's known as a pneumothorax. So when you experience pneumothorax, that means your lung is partially a collapse or collapse and it makes it extremely difficult to breathe. Mm -hmm. That is one of the physical results, the physical effects results of a scourging like that that jesus would have underwent mm -hmm. yeah and once again as pastor paul said earlier this wasn't uh with the goal to to kill someone this was uh to send out a statement okay not just to the the person upon whom the punishment is being inflicted but to everyone else in the community that if you were going to break Roman law, you were going to pay for it very dearly. Right. And and some may say, well, okay, so 39 lashes, right? And that's a Jewish thing. Why would the Romans, why would Pilate have been concerned with following that, that rule uh, of the Jewish people not to give them any more than 39 lashes? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think that... Uh, Pilate. Now, remember, there's a lot of, a lot of drama going on between he and the and the high priest and Jesus himself, and I believe that that Pilate, in an effort to try to do two things at one time, one was to punish and without killing a man who I believed he thought was innocent. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, appeasing these Jewish leaders enough where, where they could look at it and say, okay, that's enough. He's been punished enough that he, he stayed in this realm of these amount of lashes to keep from killing Jesus, but also to be able to send, send kind of a, a caveat, kind of like I'm lining up with you guys to the Jewish leaders. Right. Right. Yeah. Or I, think, I recognize your culture here. Yeah. Well, we know from the account that, you know, that Pilate would release someone um, as part of their tradition that <laughs> one of the, the person that he, he had opposite of Jesus to release was Barnabas. Barabbas. Barabbas, that's right, Barabbas. And we know that Barabbas was in prison for insurrection. So um, it stands to reason that Pilate was sent to Jerusalem to quell any of those insurrections and those riots that were occurring. Mm -hmm. So maybe in keeping with the Jewish uh, standard of 39 lashes, he was also demonstrating a bit of that, hey, I don't really want another insurrection happening and I don't want to go too far with it. Um, so that could be one of the reasons too, that he would have yeah. uh, abided by 
that particular yeah you have to remember the jewish the jewish culture was was in some ways very different from other cultures that the that the romans had to rule around the world i mean they had this law uh that had all these very specific things that you could do and not do so while rome wanted you to know that they were in control uh, you know they also really wanted to keep the peace you know they called it pax romana the roman peace mm-hmm. is what they call the rule mm-hmm. and so they would try to appease and bring in elements of the culture of the people they ruled to try to keep insurrections and things down uh, and so you know they would they had this two two-pronged approach that they would take with the people they ruled right and so let's let's think about this now. We, we've looked at the physical state that the flagrum and the scourging would have taken. Um, you know, we we talked about the mental state and the distress that he felt uh, in in going through those things. And we're not even at the crucifixion yet. All right. We're still we're still in the very beginning stages of the road to Calvary. So now Je- Jesus has been condemned by his own priest, his own people. They have delivered him to Pilate. He knows what his fate is. He knows he's going to have to suffer even more and be crucified. We know that Pilate uh, more than likely attempted to appease the Jews by delivering Jesus over to a severe scourging, mm-hmm. uh, trying not to have to crucify him. And and so we looked at the physical parts of it. We know that the flagrum that they used would have caused severe lacerations to his flesh, bruised ribs, mm-hmm. if not fractured, but bruised certainly, internal bleeding, blood and fluid building up around his lungs. Mm -hmm. That becomes important later, uh, making it extremely painful. Every breath he would have taken, every movement he would have made Mm -hmm. would have been painful. Mm -hmm. The scourging would have left Jesus, did leave Jesus, completely naked, exhausted, probably barely conscious, laying on the ground um, in a pool of his own blood with him hanging by his arms, from that mm-hmm. column, mm-hmm. shackled to that post. He was dehydrated more than likely before he even went into that event. Yeah. Now we know yes. because of the blood loss and the dehydration, now he's even more dehydrated. And even more blood is collecting around his his lungs. Uh, slowly, potentially, had you know, he'd been if he'd not given up his own will, uh, more than likely he would have drowned in his own blood and mm-hmm. his own fluid. This medical condition that he that he was experiencing at this point is called the traumatic wet lung condition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you think about that. And when we talked earlier about, well, no, no normal human could have survived the scourging. Right. Well, he wasn't a normal human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and when you look at the medical evidence, all that blood and fluid accumulating around the lungs. Um, and all, for all purposes, he would not have even survived to even to to even begin the road he, to Calvary. Yeah, you know, of course, of course, we don't know for mm-hmm. sure whether he could have or whether he didn't. I don't, I don't think that the Romans intended to kill him, mm-hmm. but. You have to see what condition Jesus is in after the scourging is over. Uh, if you 
all of you guys out there that have ever been through extreme emotional distress know that you're exhausted mm -hmm. after that is over. He's had an adrenaline dump, yes, a major adrenaline dump into his system. And so that causes a fallout at the end. Right. And he probably didn't sleep any, hardly any the night before because he was in custody. And then they get him, they get him up early in the morning. You know, they may have put him in Caiaphas's prison underneath his house, and you'll see it if you go to Jerusalem for a short period of time. But he he's had very little sleep. Mm -hmm. He he now now, as you said, he's losing blood, mm -hmm. and so the weakness is getting traumatic, and pressure is developing on his heart and lungs because of the internal injuries. That's right. And so now if, you, if you've taken yourself there to that place, and if you can just imagine for a second that they had to unshackle Jesus from, from the post, his body is limp just from exhaustion and from the severe beating that he took. And so now the Romans drag his body back to a holding area. And that's, that's where the Romans continue uh, their insidious treatment of Jesus. It's not over. It's only really just begun. You know, this next part, uh, I believe, is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 53 about Jesus, which says the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. Now, now chastisement could also have stood, uh, be referring to the, to, the, to the scourging that he went under, but the scourging in Jesus' case was not just a physical beating. It was it was a demeaning, uh, mocking uh, event because mm -hmm. after they beat him, they took him back into a holding area and they began to make fun of, of who he was. And this just kind of shows you the mentality of these of these uh, capital punishment crews and our, our scourging crews. I mean, this. Mm -hmm. This was an event that was meant to push somebody to a place where they would never, ever do anything against the Roman government. But now Jesus is being ridiculed and he's being mocked. And and every single one of us have heard those voices speaking to us, you know, that you're, you're nothing. Uh, uh, you're never going to amount to anything. Your future is, is not there. And so this is another way where where Jesus enters into this world that we live in and, and we can relate to what he's going through. That's right. And so that leads us to Crown of Thorns. Yeah, we Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah.